Hey, good morning, everyone. This is our continuing study in the book of Hebrews for the Panera Bread Bible study. Normally, that's a strange word, isn't it? Normally held at Panera Bread in Matthews on Tuesday morning, but we're separated today, but we'll make the best of it. Uh, God always makes a way. And for our text today, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 28. So we discussed uh, verse 23 pretty much last time, but we'll read it because it's in the context. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. What a great passage. We want to look at this verse by verse. Again, we looked at 923 last time, so let's look at verse 24 through 28. Verse 24. The Bible says here in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer says, Christ has entered. Christ has entered. This is a significant statement. It tells us that Christ has, past tense, entered. The kingdom has been established. He's come here already. We need to look for him no longer. Christ has entered. Now, what did he enter when he came? He entered into a temple, but he did not enter into any temple made by the hands of men. The temple was just a figure of the heavenly one, a copy, a pattern, a schematic, a representation of the real temple which is in heaven. And this word in verse 24, uh, which is rendered copies in the ESV is from a Greek word, anti-tupon, anti-tupon. And Strong's defines this word as, quote, corresponding anti-type. You may have heard that word before, years ago. Preachers used to talk about types and anti-types. It also means representative, counterpart-like, figure whereunto, end quote. Thayer, in his dictionary, says antitupon means, quote, a thing formed after some pattern. There's that word again. 
a thing resembling another, its counterpart, something in the Messianic times which answers to the type, and we use the singular word as, A-S, to represent anti-tupon, copies. Now, this as concept, uh, metaphor, if you please, is used often in Scripture. I want us to look at two specific anti-tupon copies, parallels, patterns. First of all, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and see how Peter corresponds baptism to something else. 1 Peter 3, we want to see what Peter's talking about here. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to to him. Baptism corresponds to what? Corresponds to the Ark of Noah. And how were the people in the Ark saved? They were saved by water. Baptism now saves us just like water saved Noah and his family in the ark. Now, how did the water do that? The water separated Noah and his family from the death and the sin of the earth. Just like baptism in the water, God separates us from our sin. That's why it's parallel. This is why it corresponds. This is why it's an example of a figure, an example of a copy, an example of Antitupon, as the word talks about it. Also, there's another really strong passage that has to do with this correspondence, one thing to another, using the word as. This is really fantastic. It's not a passage that many people use. We talk about it a lot at Arsdale. Uh, Brother Ireland refers to it often as well. And it's a fantastic verse. Everybody always wants to talk about John 3.16. Very, very seldom does anybody mention John 3.14 and 15, which precedes 16, and without which one cannot really understand or comprehend or interpret verse 16. So it's very, 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 very important. So I want us to look right now at John 3, John 3, 14 and 15, and see how Jesus uses this comparison, this anti-tupon, this figure, this correspondence, this pattern thing, this metaphor, if you please. And he says, as and as, just like parallel counterpart, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Then it goes into verse 16. Now, as you recall in Numbers, I believe, 24, we read about the children of Israel who sinned against God. And God was wroth, and he sent a plague into the camp. What did the plague consist of? It consisted of deadly snakes. These deadly snakes came into the camp, and whoever was bitten began a slow, agonizing death. And the people cried out to Moses for deliverance. Moses prayed to God. God told Moses, look, you construct a brazen snake and lift it up in the middle of the camp, and there's a condition for a cure. And I want to tell you, Moses, what it is. You tell the people that if they come and physically look upon the snake, the brazen serpent in the middle of the camp, they will be saved. They will not die from the snake bite. Obviously, some people didn't make it. And if a person believed that it could save them, but they didn't look, they still died. And so there has to be a response. That's why Jesus uses the word as. There has to be a response to the offer of God for salvation. It was a response that was required in the desert with the brazen serpent. And it's the same with Christ, who's lifted up just as the serpent was. And people have to look upon the Christ and make a decision. Are they going to comply? Are they going to respond? Are they going to obey the edict of salvation? If they didn't look on the snake, they died. If we don't look upon Christ, we die spiritually. And how do we do that? We respond by faith and obedience repentance and baptism, as we know from Acts 2.38. So here's two really great examples of anti-Tupon, this correspondence. Now, Christ the high priest enters the real body, the real holy of holies, heaven itself, uh, for a very specific purpose. And according to this verse, verse 24, it's on our behalf. That's why he's entered into the Holy of Holies. On our behalf. Verse 25, Christ enters in on our behalf far differently than the priest of Aaron ever did. Back in the day, so to speak, in the day of Moses. Because Christ enters only once and he stays there as opposed to the repeatedly year after year entrances of the priest of Aaron. You recall the high priest could only enter into the Holy of Holy once a year, and that's with blood not his own, and after purifying himself for his own sins, was he able to go in there and uh, atone for the sins of the people. This was a very, very limited atonement. This is a very, very limited advocacy, but Christ entered into the Holy of Holies once, and he's been there ever since. And he's there on our behalf. Now, uh, he only enters once, and he enters once because he has the perfect sacrifice. 
The perfect sacrifice is his own perfect body and his own perfect blood. And the blood that he shed is good for all time, for all persons, as opposed to the blood of the Aaronic priest that was not his own and could not remit sins. Now, we want to further explore this with a couple of of verses that explain it in better detail. Uh, Hebrews 9, 14, so if you'll turn back to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 9, 14. Let's see here. Pages don't want to turn the way I want them to, but we'll get there in just a second. Hebrews 9 and verse 14. We'll begin with verse 13 so we can have a complete sentence. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Christ is perfect. The blood of bulls and goats was not. And then over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Hebrews 10 and verse uh, 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ when? Once for all. The body and the blood were perfect. They were offered only once And since it was perfect and it was offered only once, Christ has been in the heavenly holy of holies continually ever since on our behalf. It's really fantastic when you think about it. Verse 26. Again, it says that Christ died but once and offers himself but once. And the... Hebrew writer says, otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Uh, This is uh, fantastic, and we talk about this, and we should talk about it more, I think, is the uh, omnipresence of God, and the omnipresence of Christ, and the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit. Can't explain it. But it is true and real that God in his entire Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, are in the distant past, they're in the present, and then they're in the future. They're everywhere all at once. They're not limited by this thing we call time. Uh, So... When the Bible talks about from the foundation of the earth, uh, the sacrifice of Christ was planned before time began, and yet it had already happened at the same time. Hard to get your arms around it, but it's true. So uh, instead, Christ has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages. That's the, the latter days. Now, 
he he appeared uh, in the the last set of time. What does that mean? Well, in the beginning of time, God spoke to the patriarchs, and then He spoke through Moses. But as we know, in these last days, Hebrews one and one uh, speaks exclusively through Jesus Christ, His Son. So when Christ came, that was the heralding of the last days at the end of days, the latter days, the end of the ages. Doesn't mean at the exact end of time, but at the last time segment there will ever be. There will never be any age beyond the Christian age, to put it that way. Now, uh, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages. Why? To put away sin by how? The sacrifice of himself by his, <laughs> excuse me, his blood. Matthew 26, Matthew 26 and verse 26 talks about this. Um, he's, he's speaking of what is about to happen as far as the disciples were concerned because they were trapped in this thing called time. Christ knew full well what was going to happen. Matthew 26 and verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The body and the blood were his gift to mankind. And the body and the blood are memorialized in the Lord's Supper that we gather around the table every week to remember. He said, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me, uh, Matthew 26 and 1 Corinthians 11. Now, there's uh, some other references to this I want us to quickly look at. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 34. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you when? From the foundation of the world. There's that phrase again. Uh, the kingdom of God was prepared from the foundation of the world. Uh, John 17, 24. John 17, 24. I'm missing those bagels as we're going through this. Someday down the road. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation 
of the world. 1 Peter 1.20 It's interesting, a man who heard those words of Christ. 1 Peter 1.20 1 Peter 1.20 says this, For he, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And then finally, Revelation 17, verse 8. Revelation 17, verse 8. Okay. The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, when, from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not, and is to come. This is interesting. One might be tempted to look at this through the eyes of a Calvinist, and say, well, wait a minute, if my name was written in the book from before time began, then I was predestined to salvation, and there's nothing I can say or do about it. But such is not the case, because just because names are written in the book from the foundation of the world doesn't take away my free choice. Doesn't take away my free choice. I still have free choice. But on a judgment day, that book will be opened and all those who enter will find their names are in that book. So that's our daily prayer today that our names will be in that book. And we'll pray to that effect here in a minute. Verse 27, going back to Hebrews 9, verse 27, as just like... Here's that parallel again, that metaphor, that anti-tupon concept, that parallelism, pattern, however you want to put it. Just like mortal men are appointed to die and then go to judgment, verse 28 says, So Christ died, offering himself to bear the sins of many, uh, will come a second time. So he died, and he's going to come a second time. It's just like that you and I die and then face judgment. Christ died, and then he goes to judgment, not to be judged, but to judge. Um, He comes a second time, the Hebrew writer says, not to deal with sin. The second time he comes, he's not going to deal with sin. He's going to be doing something else. And the reason he's not going to deal with sin, because he already dealt with it on the cross. He's coming a second time to save those In judgment, because we all have to face the judgment seat of Christ, according to what Paul says. 
We'll have to save the, he's coming to save those in judgment who are eagerly waiting for him. And this includes two groups of people. The first group are those Christians who are still alive at the moment of Christ's returns, who are eagerly awaiting his second coming. But by numeric advantage, by far the largest group are those who are waiting for his second coming who are in Abraham's bosom, waiting for the judgment day so they can be forever with the saints in heaven forever. <clears throat> this idea is even found in the Old Testament if you go back to the book of Isaiah. And we want to look at verse 20, chapter 25, Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25. And we want to look at verse 9. Isaiah 25, verse 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. Why? That he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And also Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. <clears throat> For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who call upon the name of the Lord have always and will always eagerly seek his coming and his salvation and his judgment. So um, let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this portion of Scripture. And we pray specifically at this moment that we will strive to make sure that our names are in that book of life and that we will always eagerly look to the skies while we are yet alive for your salvation to come, that we will be saved in judgment. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to save us. Thank you, Lord, for his continuous presence in the Holy of Holies on our behalf. And may we always call upon your name as we did when we were baptized. May we continually do so. For we know, Father, that you are eagerly waiting to forgive our sins if we're faithful and confess those things to you. Forgive us, Lord, of those many sins. Strengthen us in these difficult times. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So thanks, everyone, for joining us in this study. And um, we uh, 
want to make sure that we all resume this weekly gathering at Panera Bread when all this is over. So we'll see you next time. This is Russ McCullough signing off.